I just like that sound, don't you? Isn't that cool? I love it. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Christ Center. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Come on. Get ready. Turn to your other neighbor and say, God's word is coming. Now kind of go back and forth and say, and I'm going to receive it. I'm going to receive it. Well, whether you're with us in person or online, I want to just say welcome. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Center. If I haven't had a chance to get to know you or meet you yet, welcome. We are so glad that you're going to spend a few moments with us today. Hopefully, um, it will be relatively painless and God will speak to you and you will get something out of it. And our prayer is that you would leave this place different than when you arrived. That God's spirit in you would be alive and active and that you would be changed. Uh, that's just what we pray every Sunday and it's what we believe. And so this morning we're uh, in a series called I Quit. Go ahead and say it. I Quit. I quit, and today we're doing a message called I Quit Comparing. Comparing, wow. The Bible has a lot to say about comparing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read a scripture verse for you. It's this, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. We're going to talk about comparing, envy, jealousy, And the reason that comparison is so destructive is because where comparison starts, contentment ends. Where comparison starts, contentment ends. The Apostle Paul said he'd learn to be content in all things. Uh, How many of you would like to be able to say that? I've learned to be content in all things. Anyone arrived there yet? You're getting there? Good, good. Well, if, if indeed uh, the Apostle Paul learned to be content in all things, then we should learn from him. And he had uh, some tools uh, that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the scripture today to see how we can do better when it comes to comparing. I remember waking up several years ago. I, was, I woke up kind of sick. And You ever just wake up sick and you realize all the stuff that you had planned to do that day, you're now not going to get done? And I remember just kind of having a pity party that morning. And so I wrote in my journal, and it was more than just, I often write in my journal, but this was more than, than just an entry in a journal. It was more like I was speaking a message to myself, giving myself a pep talk. It was May 3rd, 2014, and this is, this is what I wrote. Upon waking up sick this morning and realizing that I would be missing out today, I began to ponder the reason for my restlessness. Obviously, everyone else today would be soaking up life in a way that I could not. One of the problems with social media is the realization that everyone is doing more than you. They are traveling more. They are celebrating more. Their lives have more milestones. They have seemingly less problems, they accomplish more, 
and a million other indicators that your life is obviously subpar when compared with everyone else. And that's the problem, isn't it? We compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. This comparison always comes up short. If we're not careful, this can cause anxiety and a restlessness, worldly satisfaction that we will never completely fulfill. It's almost as though we do violence to time itself. What do I mean by this? We want to drink in the world, travel to every place, see everything, feel every sensation, not miss out on anything. We consistently hurry what we are doing so that we can do something else. In so doing, we are in essence telling our creator that he did not make enough time. We can be greedy in a way that Scrooge never was. The challenge for myself and in fact all of us is to slow down and live in the moment. When restlessness creeps up to recognize that it is a reminder that in this world all of our symphonies will remain unfinished. This life can never keep all of its promises. Only eternity can do that. Like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity has been placed in our hearts. In other words, we are overcharged for this life and nothing on the created side of the line will ever ultimately satisfy the true longing of our soul. As Thoreau said, nothing can be more useful to a man than a determination not to be hurried. My personal goal, walk in the rhythm that Jesus has set up for my life. Live in obedience to what Jesus has called me to do. And lastly, to cherish each moment and quit looking over the fence for the next. It's so easy to compare. You wake up, you're in your sweats, you're eating a cupcake, you go on social media, and you see your friends at the gym, and he looks like he's getting ready for the sequel of 300, and you just go, I don't measure up. Or you take a great picture, and you're very proud of it, and you put it on there, and you get two likes, and your friend gets 50,000 likes on their ugly picture. There's so many ways that we can compare. And the problem is that if we're not careful in our comparison, we will actually do harm to ourselves and to other people. As a matter of fact, if my comparison is in my favor, so when I compare myself, if it's in my favor, then I feel proud and puffed up. And this kills the love inside of me. If my comparison is in favor of the other person, I feel inferior and unworthy. And that kills the love inside of me. But either way, whether I come out on top or whether I feel inferior, the true tragedy is love. That's the real tragedy in our life. And just so this message isn't hypothetical, let me ask you a question. How many of you, uh, by show of hands, have ever compared yourself based on looks? Just raise your hand, based on looks. How, keep your hands up. How many of you have ever based uh, your comparison on uh, someone else, else's parenting? Anyone? Okay. What about your spiritual life? Anyone? What about the car? What about the home? And on and on and on the list goes. It's so easy to compare ourselves. And see, comparison obviously doesn't always show itself as what it really is. Sometimes 
it actually shows itself as something else. Envy, jealousy, and uh, comparison rarely call themselves by their real name, but rather they manifest themselves in us rather as bitterness. So we may not manifest envy or comparison. We may not tell everyone, oh, I'm envious of you. Sometimes it comes across as bitterness. Sometimes it comes across as a critical spirit or the incapacity to praise someone else. Sometimes comparison comes as a blockage that presents us from truly rejoicing in someone else's good fortune or an incapacity to feel empathy for certain people as a feeling of being cheated by life itself. Or how about this one? A refusal to share your knowledge and skills with someone younger or more inexperienced than you, perhaps in fear that their star might outshine yours. See, sometimes comparison, envy, and jealousy hide themselves. Envy, jealousy is sometimes called the mark of Cain. And what do you mean by that, the mark of Cain? Well, see, actually, comparison was the second sin in the Bible. The first sin, I'm sure most of you know, was when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. But the second sin actually involved two brothers, Cain and Abel. And so if we look back in Genesis, we see this scripture. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Here it is, folks. The first thing you wonder is, why would God choose Abel's sacrifice over Cain's? And, and there's maybe a couple reasons for this. One is that it says that Cain actually brought some of the fruit from the soil of the ground. But with Abel, it says, he brought fat from the firstborn so there's this sense that Abel brought the very best he had. He had complete trust in God and was able to give of his firstborn. But Cain only bought some of the fruit of the soil. That's one possibility. The other possibility is this. Abel actually brought the prescribed sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. You see, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals as an atonement for their sins. It was a foreshadowing that Jesus would come and ultimately be the sacrifice for the world. And the prescription for the forgiveness of sins was a blood sacrifice, which is what Abel brought. Cain did not. Either way, there was jealousy. He compared himself to his brother Abel, and he fell short. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. You see, the first problem with comparison is that it dehumanizes and objectifies the other person. 
See, here's what it says. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. So you have these two people. They bring sacrifices. God accepts Abel's sacrifice. He doesn't accept Cain's sacrifice. He says, do what is right and you will be accepted. There's a comparison. Cain now dehumanizes his brother. And, and this line where it says, let's go out into the field. Think about that for a minute. There's a lot of pain and sin associated with that small line. Because for the first time, Cain had to teach his face how to manipulate his brother. He had to look with his expression in such a way that Abel would trust him to go into the field. He had to speak in such a way to deceive his brother because he wanted to kill his brother, but he didn't want his brother to know he wanted to kill him, so he had to do it in a way where he could manipulate him into going into that field. And indeed, they did go into that field. And Cain did kill his brother, Abel. You see, he had become dehumanized. He was no longer a person. And that's what comparison does. It strips someone else of their humanity. And now, the sad thing is that Cain once looked upon Abel as his brother, but now he looked at him as a bother because of comparison. Because when he compared himself with his brother, he fell short. And so he was able to dehumanize. And it's so often true with all of us that when we compare ourselves to other people, they lose their humanity in our eyes and they become an object, either an object to beat to, or to tear down. But they become an object. The second problem with comparison is that it often costs you a very high price. As a matter of fact, I saw a commercial the other day that I think exemplifies this pretty well. Can we show that? I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Sometimes we pay a high price when we compare ourselves to other people. It does something to us. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture, Luke chapter 19, that says this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Wow. Here is a tax collector recognizing his sin. He's just looking at himself. And he knows he falls short. Wouldn't even look up to heaven, but said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he was justified. He left justified. But the religious leader on the outside, by the outside, it looked like everything was great. He actually did very good things. He gave a tenth of all that he possessed. He fasted twice. On the outside, he looked great. But on the inside, he compared himself to someone else. And when he did that, he was not justified before the Lord. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved unto the Lord. The side glance of envy and comparison does nothing for you except hurt you. And it cost that Pharisee his relationship with God. And that's what comparison does. It destroys our relationship. There's a high price to be paid. There's another story in the Bible that involved Israel's first king. His name was King Saul. It says Saul, Saul stood head and shoulders above every man. He was a giant himself. And God chose him to be king of Israel. And all was going well. As a matter of fact, he chose a man by the name of David to be one of his warriors. And then to be a general. And after a very successful battle, there's a key scripture that really changes the trajectory of Saul's life. Here's what it says. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with tambourines and lutes, and they danced and they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And listen to this. And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. See, instead of focusing on being a king, he focused on being a killer. That's what comparison did to him. He went from a king to a killer. And it says from that time on, he hunted David. That was his life. His life was hunting down King David. And what had King David, or, or, or not even king at this point, what had the the warrior David done to King Saul except kill Goliath. You know, the guy that every morning got up and taunted Saul? Can you imagine being King Saul and you're in your tent and every morning you wake up to this Philistine cursing you and calling you a coward and you could do nothing about it? Every morning, day after day after day, King Saul wakes up to this Philistine cursing not only him but his God. Can you imagine every time the sun started to creep up and his heart started to pound as he knew that the Philistine was going to start speaking again? But one day, 
a shepherd boy named David put a stop to it. Not only that, but when a troubling spirit came upon Saul, David would play his instrument and drive the spirit away. He was his most loyal, faithful follower. And yet, King Saul could see none of that because of comparison, envy, and jealousy. This is so destructive, it's so demonic. Think about Lucifer. Even Lucifer, the very first sin we see is Lucifer comparing himself to God. I will raise my throne above yours. I will reach higher. Comparison is so deadly. It's called the crab bucket syndrome. You guys know what a crab bucket is? Have you ever seen a crab bucket? Where all the crabs are in the bucket and a crab starts to climb up, finally starts to get out of the bucket and what does the other crab do? Pinch and pull. They pinch and pull the other crab down. Every time, they almost make it, pinch and pull. It's their instinct, it's in their DNA to pinch and pull. That's what they do, that's a crab mentality. As a matter of fact, I remember being on the mission trip, we were in Antigua and um, it was raining and, and I, apparently the rain drives the crabs out and we were driving in this, this bus and the, the pastor we were working for saw this giant crab on the roadway and he stopped the bus and he got out and got the crab and brought it back into the car, the bus that we were all crammed into. And I was in the passenger seat and the problem was this was a stick shift vehicle. And he was driving with his left hand, had the crab in his right hand, and every time he would uh, move the uh, transmission, guess what? That crab was right next to my knee. And that thing just kept trying to pinch my knee. The whole trip, I'm trying to keep my knee away from the... Because that's what they do. They pinch and they pull. That's what they're designed to do. That's in their DNA. It's their wiring. And when you compare... You become like King Saul, pinch and pull, and it's destructive. And what was he so fearful of? What was King Saul so fearful of that he would lose his kingdom? And guess what? That's exactly what happened. He lost his kingdom. And he didn't lose his kingdom because of, a you know, David was such a great guy, although We know he was. He lost his kingdom because of comparison. It ultimately destroyed his ability to be a king. He wasn't obedient to the Lord. He wasn't saying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Instead, he was looking at someone else. There's a man sent from God, and his name was John, John the Baptist. Here's his message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then one day, John sees Jesus and says about Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And guess what? All of a sudden, people started going to Jesus. They started traveling to him. And his disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, He is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. Wow, if there's ever a moment where you'd want to compare, 
Here you've been doing all this great work. Everyone has been coming to you. You've been baptizing. And now all of a sudden, your cousin shows up. And he starts baptizing. His disciples start baptizing people. And now everyone's going to him. Now, John was a rabbi, just like Jesus was a rabbi. John had disciples, just like Jesus had disciples. John was baptizing, just like Jesus' followers were baptizing. They were both doing the same things, but all of a sudden, Jesus started getting all the attention. Can you imagine how John might have felt? John has his disciples come to him, and they start to be concerned that everyone's going to Jesus. But John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. That was the heart of John the Baptist. He must become greater. I must become less. See, John the Baptist knew who he was, and it informed him of who he was not. As a matter of fact, what did he call himself? He called himself the friend of who? The groom. The friend of the groom. In Hebrew, it's called Shashben. Come on, you want to say it? I know it. Shashben. Go ahead and say it. Shashben. That was the name, that was the actual title of friend of the groom. And they carried out duties much like a best man carries out at our weddings today. But they had one thing that they would do at the end of the evening's festivities. The Shashben would go to the bridal chamber where the bride was waiting for the groom. And the shashben would guard the door. And it was at night, it was dark, and they couldn't always see the groom, but they could hear the groom coming. And when he heard the groom coming, and he knew the groom was there, the shashben would step aside and let the groom go into the bridal chamber. John knew that's who he was. He was not the groom. He was the friend of the groom. And Jesus had arrived. He had done his part. He had guarded the bridal chamber. He had baptized. He had called people to repentance. He had done everything he was supposed to do. And now his last final act was to step aside. See, John's focus was not on himself, it was on the groom. He must be greater, and I must grow lesser. See, sometimes we have to do what our flesh most cries out against. You see, in that moment, it would have been easy for John to say, yeah, but I don't like the fact that he's doing all this. I don't like the fact that he's getting more notoriety, more publicity than me. But he didn't do that. He's like, he must be greater and I must become less. And by the way, Jesus knows a little bit about envy. 
As a matter of fact, it says in the scriptures, of Pilate said, Pilate said that the reason that Jesus was crucified was because of the envy of the religious leaders. Pilate recognized that the reason that they wanted to kill Jesus was out of envy. So you might think hatred killed Jesus. You might think, you know, selfishness. You might think, no. What killed Jesus was comparison, was envy. Because they were going to him, they were not coming to the religious leaders. And they killed him for it. And the Bible is real, and it's about real people. And two of God's most incredible, godly people, two of his key inner circle disciples, John and Peter, they had a bit of a rivalry. And they struggled a little bit with comparison. As a matter of fact, in John's gospel, in John chapter 20, when the women went to the tomb and they were going to bring the spices and everything and they recognized that Jesus had risen, it says that they went back to the disciples and they said, Jesus has risen. And John is writing this gospel, by the way. He's the one writing this. And it says three times that Jesus had risen from the grave in John 20. But you know what else it says? It says, we both ran to the tomb, but I got there first. <laughs> John wrote, oh, Jesus rose from the grave, but I beat Peter to the tomb. <laughs> Three times he makes mention that he beat Peter in a foot race to the tomb. Comparison. It's so easy to do. And later on, we know that Peter struggled in that he denied Jesus three times. No, I'll never deny you. I'll never turn my back on you. And yet he did. And it says that after Jesus had risen from the, the grave, that Peter went back to fishing. He went back to Galilee. And it says that, that some of the disciples were on a boat. John included. Peter and some other disciples were on a boat. And they'd fished all night. And they caught nothing. And then all of a sudden, there's a man on the shore. And he calls out. He says, hey, have you caught any fish? And they said, no, we fished all night and we've caught nothing. He says, well, hey, try the other side of the boat. And so they did. And all of a sudden, all the fish came in. And John looked at Peter and he said, that's Jesus. Now, we know that John was faster than Peter. He beat him. We, we got that. But now they're in water, <laughs> and Peter's a fisherman. So it says that Peter put on his outer garment, and he jumped in the water, and he actually beat John to Jesus. So I don't know. We're now tied one and one. But he gets to the shore, and Jesus has breakfast for him. And you would never eat breakfast with anyone that you had hostility towards. It just and culturally, you wouldn't do it. And so what Jesus was saying by making breakfast for Peter is that, Peter, it's okay. You're forgiven. All is right. And later on in the conversation, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Ah, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed the way you wanted to dress. And you went wherever you wanted to go. But Peter, when you're older, 
you'll be dressed in a way you don't want to be dressed and you will be taken where you don't want to go. And what he was saying is, you're going to die a martyr's death. You will give your life for me. And indeed, he did. He gave his life for Jesus. He was crucified upside down with his family. Refused to be crucified just like Jesus was, so he asked to be crucified upside down. He gave his life. And when Jesus told Peter, you're going to give your life for me, John happened to be walking by. Peter looked at John and looked at Jesus and said, well, what about John? (laughs) What about him, Lord? This is what Jesus said. If I want John to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. If you keep your eyes on him, you'll be miserable. If you keep your eyes on me, you will be filled with joy. You see, it's about obedience to God. Let us run the race that is marked out for us. You see, each one of us have a race to run. I cannot run my race while looking at your course or I will fail miserably. You cannot run your race while you're looking at my course. And you might be tempted to believe that because I have a mic and I'm in here and I'm speaking to a group of people that that somehow spiritually it'd be easy to compare yourself to me and yet I would tell you pastors are losing their influence in our culture more and more. You have influence in your world that I will never have. You have a race that you need to run that I can never run. You have a course laid out for you by God himself that he's asking you to run with all endurance. And what will keep you from that is comparing yourself to how someone else is living. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, focus on him and what he's calling you to do and walk in obedience to that that's where you'll find true joy and true contentment we quit comparing and became obedient to God concentrate on doing your very best for God work that you will not be ashamed of what Paul said to Timothy Do your very best for God, work that you will not be ashamed of. Have this vision of John the Baptist guarding the bridal door, hearing his groom walk up and then just stepping aside. Isn't that what we all want at the end of the day? At the end of our days, as the sun sets on the horizon of our life, may we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I want. Whatever part, God, you want for me, that's all I want to hear, that I did it well. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? Jesus, in a life full of comparing, we choose today to just be obedient to what you're calling us to do. It'd be easy to look at someone else and say, well, 
God's blessing them, he's not blessing me, or God's doing something to them, and he's not doing something to me, and get discouraged and despair about it. Be easy to look at someone else that maybe they're not doing that great and say, well, compared to them, I'm doing awesome. But God, teach us to look at you, the author and finisher of our faith. Teach us to run the race and course that is set up for us. Keep us from envy, jealousy, and comparing. We believe you're going to do it. We ask for the empowerment by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.